The text of the sermon is chapter 3 of Daniel. Reverend Veenster was kind enough to send his sermon since his voice failed him. After the sermon, we will sing Psalm 37, verses 1, 5, and 16. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, most of us on one occasion or another will get ourselves into trouble because we forget. You ask your children, why didn't you clean up your room? And nine times out of ten they will say, oh, I forgot. It is never a good thing to forget what you said you would do. But it is especially dangerous when it comes to spiritual matters. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, appears to be a very forgetful person. At least that's what we might think when we compare this chapter to the previous one, chapter 2. If you have your Bibles open, it will be easier for you to follow along. Chapter 2 of Daniel tells us that the king had a dream. But he couldn't remember the dream. We'd consider this quite normal. You can't fault a person for forgetting a dream. It happens all the time. But Nebuchadnezzar wants his top astrologers and magicians to tell him the dream and its interpretation. And he is furious when they can't. So he is not only a man who appears to be forgetful, but he could also use some anger management when the dream is told and interpreted by Daniel, the clouds of angry displeasure blow away and Nebuchadnezzar is as pleased as punch. He says to Daniel in verse 47 of chapter 2, Surely your God is the God of gods and the King of kings. The response of the King of Babylon is good, but it is not deep enough. He has an encounter with God that shakes his emotions and moves him to say good things, but it does not change him. The emotion dissipates and dries up, and it is a fleeting moment of praise. Now, before we criticize, we need to ask, is that reaction all that far from us? Oh, we are moved, even to tears, when confronted with the mighty works of God, our emotions may be dip, deeply touched so that we say, God is great. Surely he is the God of God and the King of kings. But are we truly converted and changed? You see, the Bible does not want us thinking about how we are stirred, but calls us to change to a change of heart, a change of attitude and behavior towards God and our neighbor. If the revelation of God's mighty deeds only touches our emotions, we will be easily swept along by whatever happens to tickle our fancy or lifts our ego. Shortly after Nebuchadnezzar had said, surely your God is the God of gods and the King of kings, he exalts himself against the Lord and his anointed king. The king of Babylon becomes an instrument in the hand of Satan 
An attempt is made to diminish the significance of God's rule and the need for Christ. But God will not allow the schemes of evil men to rule the day. He will have his children confess his name, even as they are faced with the most difficult dilemma. He will see to it that his messianic purposes are accomplished. Let's take a closer look at our text with the following theme. The command to bow or burn. First, we will see the aim of Nebuchadnezzar. Secondly, the answer of the three friends. And thirdly, the affirmation of Israel's God. First, then, the aim of Nebuchadnezzar. One day, King Nebuchadnezzar made a huge image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. The location permitted a large amount of people to gather around the image. It was a valuable and vast image, towering over the landscape of the day and dwarfing the people by its massive presence. But what was this supposed to mean? What was Nebuchadnezzar trying to prove? Was the golden statue erected in the honor of some Babylonian god or goddess? Not likely. Why would Babylon need yet another image or another god? They already had a whole arsenal of gods, and they were doing a fine job looking after the kingdom, weren't they? After all, Babylon was at the zenith of its power. If another god became involved, he or she might mess things up and upset the idol cart. The original Aramaic language in which this part of Daniel is written not only uses the word image for the representations of the gods, the same word is used in chapter 2, verse 31 for the statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which clearly was not a representation of a particular god. This image was a faceless rallying point to celebrate the accomplishments of the king of Babylon. Seven classifications of government officials are summoned to be present for the dedication service, namely the satraps, the perfects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, the judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials. This is why we are no longer surprised by the absence of Daniel. He did not leave his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the lurch, or bow to this image. He was not set over the finances or the governing of the kingdom like they were. Daniel was the minister of religious affairs and wasn't summoned to be present. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, by erecting the huge image, the king of Babylon wanted to honor his own person and to glory in the strength of his kingdom. This image symbolizes all Nebuchadnezzar has accomplished with the help of his gods. When the people saw the heights of Nebuchadnezzar's power, they would be awestruck, and they would bow down and worship. The fact that the image was of pure gold from top to bottom 
tells us something about the aim and intention of the king. In his dream, recorded in chapter 2, that statue had a head of gold. The head was the only part that represented the kingdom of Babylon. In other words, one day, mighty Babylon would fall. Nebuchadnezzar thought about the dream and his interpretation. He was unhappy with what was made known to him. He wasn't going to let this roll over him like a mighty wave without doing something about it. So you see, when he said to Daniel, Surely your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, he wasn't making a confession of guilt or repenting. His ego is as inflated as ever before. Nebuchadnezzar cannot stomach the thought that his mighty kingdom would crumble. He defies the revelation of the Lord. He builds a statue of gold from head to toe. He wants everyone to know that his kingdom will not crumble and will not be taken over by any other power. His kingdom is going to last for a long, long time. The Lord had announced in the dream that all the kingdoms of the earth lack stability. They will break apart. The Lord had announced that the kingdom of Christ was coming and this kingdom would be the only kingdom to last forever. Nebuchadnezzar defiles the revelation of the Lord. He is not willing to give up the kingdom to anyone. He is obsessed with having the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Nebuchadnezzar sets out to prove the dream of chapter 2 to be false. Besides, if he doesn't take immediate action, he could get himself into big trouble. Many of his servants were present when the dream was interpreted. What will they think? Will they lose confidence in him? Therefore, the king affirms his power by erecting this golden image. As was mentioned before the Bible reading of chapter 3, the chapter stresses that Nebuchadnezzar set up this image. The king of Babylon sets up his image in defiance of God's image. His image is an open and flagrant rejection rejection of what God told him with regard to the direction and the course world history will be taking. The dream was God's indictment of Nebuchadnezzar's ideals, plans, and methods of ruling. But Nebuchadnezzar revolts. He will not have a successor. He thinks that the rolling stone symbolizes the kingdom of the coming Christ, which knocked down the image of his dream in chapter 2, isn't going to knock him off his feet or destroy his self-image. No way. Not only does the king defy the Almighty, he also tries to force his subjects into doing the same. Having summoned the seven classifications of government officials, he makes a royal decree. As soon as they hear the sound of music, they must fall down and worship the golden image. No matter who they are or what language they speak, 
they are to bow down and worship. Thereby they are to pledge total allegiance to the king and his kingdom. Whoever revolts, whoever refuses to listen to the decree of the king is to be cast into a burning furnace. Do you get what he's doing? The king uses music to charm the people to bow, and he uses the furnace to frighten them to bow. The command to bow or burn is a serious one. There is no room in the kingdom for the person who doesn't believe the glory of Babylon will last forever. Such a person will be thrown into the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar forces them to obey. But if one obeys the decrees of the king, of ne king Nebuchadnezzar, he will be acting contrary to the revelation of the Lord and reject God. Brothers and sisters, when the king set up his image in the plain of Dura, when he commands all his governing officials to obey and bow, he is challenging the Lord to a showdown. God accepts the challenge. Let Nebuchadnezzar put all the cards on the table and show who he is as a mere mortal. The Lord wants to get to the root and the heart of the dispute of the images. And it all boils down to these questions. Who is God? Nebuchadnezzar or the Lord? Christ or the Antichrist? Who is going to rule the world? Who is to be worshipped and adored? The degree to burn or bow brings the struggle for the truth to a head. Nebuchadnezzar defiles the living God. In this way, he becomes an agent of Satan. The devil uses him in yet another attempt to break up the road to the advent of the Messiah. He does his utmost to make the revelation of the Lord look foolish. For he knew that if the stone of the Messianic kingdom starts rolling, it will crush him too. The golden image of Nebuchadnezzar and the degree to the worship are an indication of human depravity. It is actually pretty pathetic. The people stood before the image and they bow. Yes, people will fall for anything. They bow down to any rallying point, no matter how ridiculous. Imagine all these high officials of the Babylonian Empire bowing down before this faceless image. How sad. But isn't the story that the story of human history ever since the fall into sin? Our secular society knows no morals and bows down to the system it has established and will not tolerate anything which comes with absolute claims. They will stop for nothing. That's the way our culture thinks. The state is expected to provide everything. The government takes over the authority which belongs to the parents and the church. Whatever serves the common good, 
becomes the great ideal. And as long as you go along with the opinion of the majority, your contribution is welcomed. If only people realize that they are playing right into the hands of him who instigated our first parents to sin and who made a chaotic mess of this world. The book of Revelation warns us to be prepared for the end times when no one can buy or sell unless he bears the number of mankind. Isn't that what we see happening around us more and more? So many doors have been shut and continue to be shut to Christians. You cannot participate unless you are willing to bow to the system and the idols of consumerism, humanism, individualism, pluralism, socialism, capitalism, etc. But when those doors are shut to us, where will we stand? Are we willing to say no when the world says bend the knee and follow the system? We may think it pathetic that these people bow down before a faceless image. But how many times are we bowing to the pressure of removing any indication that we confess the Lordship of Christ over all of life in our lives? But how are children of God to respond to this? Do we need to start tearing down monuments? Do you think that is what should have happened in the plains of Dura? Three of the officials present at the dedication of the golden image are children of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The three friends of Daniel are present because they have been placed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. What will they do? Do they start shouting and protesting and making their voices heard? Do they send around a petition asking that the image be dismantled? Let's turn to our second point so we can talk about this further. The answer of the three friends. The decree of the king has been heard by all present. The tension mounts. The music begins to play and all the peoples, nations, and languages fall down and worship the golden image. Perhaps some bow down, convinced that this is the right thing to do. Others worship in fear of the furnace. They all go down on their knees, with the exception of three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In spite of Nebuchadnezzar's threats, these three men do not bow down when the music starts playing. They will not bow to anyone but the Lord God. The astrologers see it and report it to the king. Actually, they were just waiting for this to happen. They knew beforehand that these men, that these three men would not bow. They make quite an accusation against these men. They say, But there are some Jews among you who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Do you hear what they are saying? O king, they're doing it again. They don't want to worship your gods, and now they don't want to worship the golden image either. Their actions constitute high treason. Isn't it time you do something about it? Nebuchadnezzar once again loses his cool. He is furious that these men should have the audacity to disobey his orders. The calm serenity of the three friends drives Nebuchadnezzar crazy. He has a hissy fit when these three men will not back down and will not even accept his offer of a second opportunity to do what they are told to do and to pledge their allegiance to the kingdom. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make no excuses. They have faith in God and commit themselves to his protection and therefore are not intimidated by the furnace. They answer the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Brothers and sisters, there you have a true and clear response of faith. Their response is marked by faith, firmness, and conviction. The three friends know for certain that even if God does not save them from the fire, he will still deliver them. They believe God will be with them in life and death. Obviously, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know God's will and word. They may even have reminded each other of the words of Isaiah 43, verse 2. Do you know these words? I do, and not only because I looked them up for this sermon, because they have been comforting believers for centuries. Listen. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Brothers and sisters, have you determined where you stand? Have you prepared your children so that they will be able to take a stand in an alien context and culture? We cave so easily and we want to make what we believe sound acceptable. After all, it may turn people off if they find out we are big into religion and all that Jesus stuff. Maybe you are thinking, oh, I could never do that. But we forget what the Lord does in the furnace. In the furnace, we meet Christ. The furnace is not the end of our witness, but where the church is purified. Do any of us look forward to that? Of course not. 
And sometimes we might feel a little anger burning in our hearts when we are faced with the furnace. But let's remember that the things we least desire are often the things we need the most. Ultimately, this is not a battle of flesh and blood. This is a dispute between the king of Babylon and the king of kings, between the prince of darkness and the prince of peace. Therefore, the Lord steps in to protect and strengthen his servants. He will not let Satan post a victory. The three friends are faithfully being upheld by the power of God. This same God will protect and guard us against the onslaughts of Satan for the sake of his own glory. As Christians, we must be prepared to take the consequences of remaining obedient to God's word, even if it costs us our job or our life. The Lord says in his word that we are not to bow down or worship any other gods. That settles the matter, doesn't it? There is no place for rationalizing our disobedience by saying such things as, Oh, you might not see it on the outside, but I serve God on the inside. Or, oh, I can't resist. I couldn't resist and say no, because he did so much for me in the past. This just, just, this just wasn't the right time to say no. Beloved, don't compromise what you have in God for anything. Even at the moment, it might not seem to be such a big deal. Faithfulness is doing your duty in life's obscure corners where so often there is no one to watch you. For when we are faithful in little things, God will equip us to be faithful in bigger matters too. That brings us to our third point, the affirmation of Israel's God. The, free, the three friends refused to bow to the golden image. Now they must burn in the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar has the three men tied up in their own clothing and thrown into the furnace. The men who threw them in the furnace are killed by the heat, but the three men are miraculously delivered from the fire. The king doesn't believe his eyes. He is astonished. Had he not thrown three men in the fire? Now there are four men in the fire, and they are not harmed by the flames. The three men receive affirmation that the Lord is in control. He sends his angel to protect his obedient children. Nebuchadnezzar is quite impressed with the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He exclaims, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has set his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other god except their own god. Nebuchadnezzar concedes that he has been defeated by the god of Israel. There is no god like this god. Then follows a rather bold decree. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation, language, who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut in pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. 
Yet, Nebuchadnezzar does not repent. He does not acknowledge the Lord to be the only true God. Therefore, his words of praise are not appreciated by the Lord. His song doesn't cause rejoicing in heaven. Singing a new song without changing old ways isn't pleasing to God at all. The Lord affirmed his promise in delivering the three men from death. He has the last word in the dispute. Yes, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel affirms that he is faithful. For God is jealous for his own name, for his church, and for the arrival of the Messiah in Bethlehem. He keeps the way open to the coming of Christ so that all his people be delivered from the fire of his wrath. Brothers and sisters, God has shown his love in such an overwhelming way in order that we might return that love. He affirms his promises to defend and preserve his church against all enemies. The Lord may not ask us to go through fire. What he asks right now is that we be faithful and true to him. We shall be faithful even if the fires of persecution should consume our bodies. The secret of such perseverance does not lie in ourselves. The secret lies in the power of Jesus Christ, who upholds us and sees us through all difficulties. Amen.